0: Let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 7. We're going to look at the first 24 verses of the 7th chapter of John's gospel. Please listen as I read. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee... For he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one deed. And you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance. But judge with righteous judgment. So read the words of the living God. So last week we celebrated Good Friday and Easter, the death and the resurrection of our Lord. And if you read through the story as, as we did on Good Friday and think about Jesus' attitude leading up to the crucifixion, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, here he is god in the flesh, who could have just decided in his own head, in his own thinking, to stop thinking about these Jewish people or about these Romans who were driving nails into his hands. Jesus could have just made the decision to stop thinking about them, and they would have disintegrated into nothing. Right? The scripture says he holds the entire world together with his thoughts. See, Picture it. The, the soldier is getting ready to drive the nails into his hands, and Jesus says, nope, you're done. And they just dissipate. It's nothingness. But he didn't do that. He didn't fight back. He didn't wipe them out. He let them do it. When the soldiers came to arrest him in the garden, they showed up with a, a huge police force with weapons. And he said, why did you come with weapons every day? I was in the temple preaching and teaching. You could have just taken me there. Why did you sneak out at night with this array? Well, Peter, remember, pulled out his sword. He's going to fight on Jesus' behalf, like forgetting what Jesus could have done if he wanted to. Jesus said, put your sword away, Peter time for fighting. This this is not it. It says, here, take me. I'm willing. Jesus is described as meek. And he says, blessed are the meek, for the meek will inherit the earth. We're to be like Jesus. The scripture says that he was like a lamb taken to the slaughter, and it describes the lamb taken to the slaughter. The lamb doesn't say anything if you take a sheep and you're about ready to kill the sheep, you don't have a protest from the sheep. Now in their case, it's because they don't know what's happening, right? They might let a little bit of baa out if they understood what was happening. But Jesus is described like that. He went willingly to the cross to suffer the wrath that we deserve. He's meek. We must never associate meekness with, with weakness. They are not the same thing. And when it said that Jesus went as a lamb silently to the slaughter, it doesn't mean that he didn't say anything. Remember the exchange with Pilate? Pilate says, are you a king? He says, yep. Do you, You're you not going to answer me as I ask you questions? Do you know I have the authority to have you killed or the, the authority to set you free? And, and Jesus did respond to that. He said, yeah, but... All the authority you have was given by my Father, and all I have to do is ask my Father, and he'll send a host of angels down. Cute, pudgy angels? No! I'm so, I'm so proud. I'll, I can send an army of angels down and wipe you all out in a heartbeat. Jesus did respond to Pilate. He did speak up for truth and for who he really is. Jesus was in an environment where the politicians and the religious leaders were trying to snuff out any opposition. Political correctness is not a modern invention. Jesus lived in a culture and a government that said, do not disagree with us publicly. And a religious environment that said, do not disagree with us publicly, We, we will shut you down. What we're going to see in this text today is Jesus did not obey the restriction on his free speech, but he confronted falsehood with truth. He defended himself, he spoke up for himself, and he called his accusers to account. Now, he didn't put up a fight when it came to violence and force, but he did speak truth. We are to emulate that, not all the time and not over petty things for sure. But we must stand for the truth of the gospel and the truth of who Jesus is and not be afraid to push back. We just, we just heard the report of our friends in a, in a hostile part of the world. The government there is trying to shut down the gospel. And I'm thankful to hear they're saying, no, we're going back and we're going to continue. Not, not publicly, that would be foolish. That would be against their, their mission because they'd be sent out but they are not backing down from proclaiming the truth of the gospel, even though the government says, shut your mouths. We're going to see Jesus doing the same thing here. So we pick up in verse 1, and it's easy to read past this quickly, but, but I, I want you to, to make sure that you see what's here. It says, after these things Jesus was walking in Galilee four, here's why he walked in Galilee Galilee Galilee's up north, if you remember your map Galilee is up north, he was unwilling to walk in Judea where the Jewish capital was, Jerusalem he was unwilling to go down there where most of the Jews were, why? because the Jews were seeking to kill him is there anybody in your life right now that doesn't like you? no? think again buddy Are there people that don't like you for what you stand for? Whether it's Christianity or uh, outflow of being devoted to Christ, just your moral stance, that kind of thing. Maybe you've been a teacher. Maybe you've tried to persuade people, uh, people of the truth and they don't like it very much. I have a few of those that don't really like what I have to say. I've, been, I've had uh, meetings where uh, I knew what was coming when I get to those meetings, where the, the person that's going to be on the other side of the table uh, is not um, hes not going to be very nice to me. He's very upset with something I've said or done. Have you done that? You're, you drive into those kinds of meetings and you just, Lord, help me, help me to, to not react and overreact, help me to just seek truth and peace and all those things. But you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, that this is just not going to be a pleasant conversation. Uh, I really don't want to have to do this, but... I sort of have to, if we're going to find peace here, we have to have a conversation. If you've been there, you know those conversations, it's just no fun at all. And when they're done, you feel like the whole weight of the world is off your shoulders. (sighs) And just the dread building up to it for hours ahead of time or days ahead of time, depending on how, how far in advance it was set. I've had a few of those meetings in my ministry, and those are not fun, and I never look forward to those. Kind of things. And I've got people around that just don't like me. They don't like what I've said. They don't like what I've taught. They don't know, they don't like a lot of things about, about me. And I, that's not pleasant. I would love for everybody to just say, oh Doug, he is wonderful. Everything he says is right. You know, I long for those two things. Just, Doug is wonderful and everything he says is right. That'd be great if that were my life. But I've never driven to a meeting. Where I thought, this guy is literally desiring to kill me. I've never walked into a neighborhood or an area where I thought, there are people here that genuinely want me dead. We're not talking here about getting into the, quote, bad part of town where somebody might randomly pull out a gun and start shooting. I mean, I've never been in a place where I really thought there were folks who literally wanted to kill me. Me, for who I am. Have you? Let's not miss this first verse. Jesus said, I'm not going down to Judea right now because there are people there who legitimately, not legitimately, who literally want me dead. And who were these people? God's people. Jews, Israel, God's people. They want to kill Jesus. He said, I'm not going down there. Stakes are high for Jesus at this point. So he stays up north. Well, the good news is for Jesus, if he stays up north, his family lives there. His brother's are up north nice safe peaceful encouraging environment down there in the Judea the Jews want to kill it but surely not up here where his brothers are everything's good there right did you listen as I read his brothers hey hey Jesus you know this big feast is going on, the feast where all the Jews are supposed to go down to Judea, down to Jerusalem, and celebrate God's blessing and his provision. It was, it was called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents because they would take branches and build little makeshift tents and stay in them to celebrate together all of God's provision way back in the Exodus period. It was a big deal. It was one of the big three feasts that the Jews had to celebrate every year in Jerusalem. And his brothers say, Jesus, you know, it's the feast. You need to go down there to Judea. And by the way, go down there because we're on to you. You think you're the Messiah. You think you're the king. Well, you can't be the king of the Jews up here in Galilee. You have to go down to Jerusalem. So look, if you really want to be the Messiah, let us help you out in your, your public campaign here. Go down there and present yourself. And all this stuff you're doing, all these miracles, all these wonderful things you're doing, go down there to Jerusalem and do your thing so you can get your following down there. Complete mockery. John tells us why they're mocking him. They don't believe him. They do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. One has to ask the question, were they aware that the Jews in Judea wanted him dead? You ever thought about that? Are they wanting him to go to Judea and do his thing so that he'll be taken out? It certainly is possible. They were jealous. I mean, remember, these guys actually had, quite literally, the perfect older brother. They grew up with perfection incarnate, and they didn't like it. Jesus, go down there and show yourself and do your thing if you want to be the Messiah. This is James, who wrote a book in your Bible. This is Jude, who wrote a book in your Bible. But prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, they hated him. They did not believe, they thought he was a fraud, and they wanted him out of the picture. It's all mockery. Go down there, do your thing in public, show yourself to the world, they say, because you're the Messiah. So Jesus responds to this, pretty strong words. He says, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. That's not probably as big a statement as it sounds. He's saying, it's not my time to go down to the feast. You guys can go anytime you want to. You can go right now. I can't go down there just yet because they're trying to kill me. And I have not been given the go-ahead from my father. The wording he uses sounds very much like Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You all know that passage? There's a time for everything, right? There's a time to plant and a time to root up. There's a time to to mourn and there's a time to dance. Who is it, according to Solomon, who is it who decides what time it is? You know? Thank you. God decides what time it is. God's the one who decides this is a time for dancing. Celebrate. This is a time for weeping, because I've brought hard things to pass. So what Jesus is saying here by alluding to that passage is saying, I do what God tells me to do. He's been saying that over and over again, hasn't he? I just do what my Father tells me. I'm not here to do my own thing. I'm here to do his thing, and it's not my time yet. When he tells me to go, I will go. For you guys, James, Jude, others, you can go down anytime you want, because no one is trying to kill you down there. In fact... When you go down there, they will love you because the world loves its own. Here he's not using world in the non-Jewish sense like he normally does. Here he's talking about everyone who doesn't believe in him. The Jews now are part of the world. He says, the world doesn't hate you, James. The world doesn't hate you, Jude, and whatever his other brother's names were. The world doesn't hate you. Why? Because you are just like them. You're man-centered. You care about the things of man. You don't care about the things of God. These were hard statements. He's in their face. Suddenly it's not brotherly love and kindness. He says, you are just like the rest of the Jews in rebelling against God himself. For me, he says, the world hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. Everywhere Jesus went, he preached truth. This is what God has said. This is what God wants you to do. This is what is righteous. And everywhere he went, people hated hearing that, especially the Jewish people. And Jesus is saying to his brothers, you're just like, the re- just like the rest of them. You don't care about righteousness. You don't care about truth. I do, and that's why they hate me. Here's a lesson for us. Is there anybody anywhere who doesn't like you very much because of your pursuit of righteousness? (laughs) Are unbelievers entirely comfortable around us? If they are, it may be because we are not standing firm and speaking out on the righteous things enough. There ought to be some people who don't like us very much because we expose their unrighteousness just by being who we are. Several years ago, I was playing golf with, uh, with Mike Rokes. He, he's at the East Campus. And uh, we were on, at a tee box, and the, the group in front of us was... Uh, well, missing a lot of shots. So we had to stand up there in the tee box for a, seemed like an eternity, waiting for them to finally get the little ball in the hole, right, so we could, so we could play through. And this, uh, this other foursome came up behind us in a cart, and uh, so they had to wait, because we are all waiting. So what do guys do when you stand around in a tee box like that? How are you doing? What's your name? Oh, what do you do? It always comes out, what do you do? Well, they ask Mike, Mike, what do you do? Mike says, I'm a pilot. Oh, great, you know, that's cool. How are you asking questions about being a pilot? And I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. <laughs> so what do you do? Fisherman? <laughs> Marriage counselor? No, I decided uh, I'm a pastor. No kidding. They didn't even shake my hand. They got in their cart and drove away. <laughs> they wanted nothing to do with a pastor. On the golf course. I mean, I, they were behind me. I wasn't going to hit them. The ball's going that way. I'm looking. Well, not that bad. <laughs> wanted nothing to do with a conversation with a pastor. Now that's obviously mild. That's not even. I didn't receive that as uh, as any kind of persecution or something. But you should. We should have people in our family. You know, not everybody in your family is a Christian. There should be some people that are a little bit uncomfortable with your stand on righteousness. If not, maybe it's because you're not standing very tall in these things. So Jesus says, my time has not yet fully come. I'm not going down. You guys go ahead. I'm not going yet. But then, He does go. Verse 10. His brothers went down to the feast because they were supposed to as Jews. And then he himself also went, not publicly, but as if in secret. He he wasn't going down to put on a big public show, so he's not contradicting what he said. The father says a couple days later, All right, go. And now he went, but he went quietly, went secretly. So then the Jews are all wondering, where is he? This is the big gathering of the Jews. He's been a prominent Jew. He needs to be here. Where is he? Where is this man that has stirred up all of this uh, controversy? And there was a battle. There was a debate. There was a disagreement about him as they're wondering where he is. Some people are saying, he's a good man. Did you hear about all the things he did? Did you hear about the people he healed? Did you hear that one where he, he took a few loaves and he fed thousands? He's a good man, and he teaches like nobody we've ever heard before. Then another group says, no, 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 he's a fraud, he's a sham, he's a deceiver. He's playing tricks, sleight of hand, trying to manipulate us and lead us astray. And back and forth, these two different groups of people had their different opinions of who Jesus is and what kind of person he was. But notice, all of these conversations took place quietly. Why? Did you catch it? Verse 13. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. The Jewish leaders, the the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priests, the Sanhedrin, they made it very clear we will not tolerate opposition. So they're already looking for justifiable means to execute Jesus And now they're telling all the people, don't talk about him. We don't want to hear it, good or bad. We don't want to talk about it, or you will be punished. Keep it quiet. We don't want anybody speaking out against our authority. These are God's people, the Jewish leaders. They had traded the truth of God for their own power and said, we will snuff out anybody who resists us. So the people were politically correct, and they conformed, and they kept it quiet. So Jesus is now in the midst of the feast. He goes in the temple, and he starts teaching, because he did that. He did that already. We've seen that a couple times. He's in the temple teaching, and here's the Jewish response as Jesus is teaching. How in the world can this guy be so educated when he hasn't been to the right schools? You see, they had, a, they had a stranglehold on truth and doctrine in the Jewish religion at this point. There were two competing schools. There was Gamaliel, who the Apostle Paul was trained under, and there was another guy named Hillel. And these two rabbis were the key influencers, and everybody was trained by one or the other. And in order for you to have the right and authority to teach... The scripture and to teach the Jewish people, you had to have the right certification. You had to be educated by one of these guys. They controlled the power. Like today, we still think about this. We want to know, what school did you go to? You're an expert, huh? Well, what college did you go to? What university did you go to? Do you have just a bachelor's degree? Do you have a master's degree? Do you have a doctorate degree? How many PhDs do you have? We equate credibility with the letters behind the name and certainly we've all had experience where that means nothing in this case they want to know Jesus how many letters do you have behind your name you have no letters behind your name you haven't even been to college not even community college you certainly haven't studied under the right people how did you get so smart See what they've done? We have developed the correct process and system. and We have no room for someone who's not gone through our system. We don't know what to do with you, Jesus. But the people are listening to this guy talk, and they're saying, this is incredible because he sure sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Jesus, what are your credentials? Jesus says, I've been telling you this already. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. I was educated in a far greater rabbinical school than you, either Gamaliel or Hillel. I got my education directly from God himself. Top that. But he knows they're not really asking him a question. They're making an accusation. So Jesus responds with his own accusation. If anyone is willing to do his will, that's the Father's will, anyone is willing to do what he wants him to do. All right, that's the if clause. If you truly want to please God, anybody, wants to please God, if that's true, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I'm speaking from myself. Again, teaching point for us, somebody shows up and says, start coming to my school, come to my church, come to my seminar, come and learn from me. Are they seeking to build up their own kingdom, their own name? Are they speaking of themselves, Or are they pointing you to God? How can you know? Notice he doesn't say, start with evaluating the teacher. He says, start with evaluating your own motives. What is it that you are after? Are you after someone who says what you want to hear? someone who makes you feel good about yourself, someone who's going to conform with your beliefs. Paul warns this would happen, that the time will come when people will not listen anymore to truth. They want someone who tickles their ears. By the way, I've never understood that analogy because I hate it when somebody tickles my ears. I don't want to follow them. I want to slap them. But we get the point, right? I like what I'm hearing, it feels good to my ears because I want to hear this. Paul says there's time coming when that's where the church will gravitate toward. Jesus says if that's who you want, then that's who you're gonna get. People who say what you wanna hear. But if your desire is to please God, then it will be very obvious when you're listening to a teacher if they are from God or not. Because you want to please God, this person is not drawing attention to themselves. they are drawing your your attention to God. Those two match up. I want to please God, you are directing me toward God, I know you're speaking the truth of God, as opposed to the the truth of man. Then he goes on, talks about the teacher uh, again. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. He's saying, listen to all of your teachers. Listen to the Pharisees and and the high priests. Are they drawing glory to God? Are they pointing you to the Father? Are Are they pointing you to the Scripture? Now, of course, they're using Scripture, and of course, they're using God's name. But at the heart of it, what are they really trying to do? is very obvious. They're trying to build up their own credibility and their own power. They're, they're glorifying themselves. Jesus says, I'm not coming to glorify myself, I'm coming, coming to draw you to the Father. And That's how you know I'm righteous, that's how you know I'm true. I'm not here for me, I'm here for someone else. It's a good test for us as well as you listen to teachers online. I've told you this over and over and over again. The internet is wonderful, it is also a cesspool of heresy. There's so much h- horrible theology on the internet. I'm not even talking about you know, g- gross sin, like pornography or something, I'm just talking about the teaching that's available. There are some very, very influential and persuasive teachers that are garnering huge followings on the internet. We need to be very careful who we listen to. We need to be careful what books we read. Are these people pointing us to Jesus or to themselves? They're drawing people to themselves. or not from God. Because if you are a teacher, a genuine righteous teacher, you really want to get out of the way. You don't want people leaving talking about you. You want people thinking about Jesus when they leave. That's what he says. I point you to the Father. Did not Moses give you the law? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. Of course Moses gave them the law. He says, well, then why don't you obey the law? And specifically, you're not obeying this command. Thou shalt not murder. You're disobeying that because you are trying to kill me. I love how they respond. What? You're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? It would be great if Jesus started saying him and him and him and him and him and him him over there. You're crazy, Jesus. You're out of your mind. Nobody's trying to kill you. Get over your conspiracy theory mindset. Jesus says, oh, yeah, I know. You guys are trying to kill me. It's going to happen at God's appointed time. In the meantime, I'm calling you out you are directly disobeying this law that you hold up in high esteem. You're hypocrites. His favorite term for the Pharisees, hypocrites. And it reminds them this law of circumcision that you have was not actually given by Moses. You, th- these guys had held the law of Moses up as the definitive word of God. And for them it was. But, of course, they abused it and distorted it and made it their their means of punishing those who didn't do what they wanted. And circumcision was the heart of everything. And and he says, You've you've taken this this command of circumcision. By the way, circumcision was not given to you by Moses. It predates Moses. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Remember the command given to Abraham? You shall circumcise your descendants on the eighth day. The Jews took that, incorporated it into the law of Moses, and made this the the the, the the sine qua non, the the this, this trumps everything else because this is going to drive you, lock you into the law, the, the old covenant. Okay, so, so you're a family, and you, you believe the Pharisees, you believe the, the Scripture, you believe the Ten Commandments, all this, and you know, do not break the Sabbath, fourth commandment, right? Thou shalt not break the Sabbath, thou shalt not break the Sabbath. And the Pharisees have just drilled that into your head. Yes, we must not break the Sabbath. We are to rest on the Sabbath do nothing, rest. And then you have a baby boy. Uh Uh-oh. The law also says I must circumcise my baby boy on the eighth day. Is that work? Is that breaking the Sabbath to circumcise my boy? And you go to the priest and you say, priest, The Sabbath is coming, and that's the eighth day of my son's life. Should I circumcise him? And now the priest has to go, oh, we have two laws of God in conflict. What do we do with that? And the Jews said, okay, we're going to pick one. We're going to pick circumcision over the Sabbath. And so if it's the eighth day of your baby boy's life on the Sabbath, go ahead and circumcise him. That's not defying the Sabbath to do that. And Jesus has no qualms with that whatsoever. But he says, look, even you all have made exceptions to the Sabbath because of your precious circumcision and Judaism. And you are upset with me for healing a man and making him whole on the Sabbath? I mean, the Sabbath was set apart to glorify God, to say he has provided all of our needs. That's what the Sabbath was originally given to Israel for, to set apart and say God has provided everything. Jesus is saying, I provided the ultimate earthly experience for this man. 38 years he was lame. He's he's going back to the original uh, healing that got him into all this mess. The paralytic who was laying there by the pool at Bethesda, he 38 years he was he was ill and, and Jesus raised him up where he could walk for the first time in 38 years. Jesus says, I showed the ultimate provision for a man who is ill. And you want to kill me for breaking your precious Sabbath. You're hypocrites, you're frauds. You are the frauds, not me. And then he gives the final command. Don't judge according to appearance, judge with righteous judgment. So there was a time in American history when there was one Bible verse that every unbeliever knew. Right? Some guy with the funky hair used to hold it up between the goalposts and football games. John 3, 1, 6. Right? Everybody knew that verse. For God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have, return, have eternal life. Most of our unbelieving friends and family don't know that one. But there is one verse they do know. Matthew 7.1. Do any of you know what Matthew 7.1 says? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Right, they love to throw that one back at us. Who You're not supposed to judge me. Don't judge me. We have that common colloquialism in our culture. Don't judge me. Christians say to each other all the time, don't judge me. Notice here, Jesus doesn't say don't judge one another. He says judge, but don't judge according to appearances. Judge with righteous judgment. The appearances. On the face of it, we might say. Don't judge based on the superficial presentation. Okay, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. On the face of it, that seems to be a a defiance of the Sabbath. But step back for a moment and see what's really happening. He just healed a man who hadn't walked for 38 years. And I'm really worried about the Sabbath? No, what's going on? This is proof positive this man is from God. So as we judge one another, as we judge the world, as we judge others, we need to not be petty. We we must be careful not to create our own laws, the laws of frack, the laws of whatever tradition you grew up in, the laws of whatever seems most important to you, and now start judging everybody by your criteria. We need to step back when we're judging and saying, okay, what is really going on here? What does God really say? What is right in God's eyes? Am I being petty? Am I being superficial? Am I just locked into tradition? Or am I saying, I want to please the Lord. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you want to please the Lord. That doesn't seem to please the Lord. Let me think through this and see where the word of God does speak to this before I make a quick judgment. Or else we may find ourselves just like these Jewish leaders, in hypocrisy and pettiness or worse. There is a place to judge, and certainly we are to judge unbelievers in the sense that call out what's wrong, what's sinful, and not be ashamed of that or afraid to do that. But we need to make sure that we're concerned with what God has revealed, not what we hold dear because of some personal reason. In all of this, we see Jesus standing for truth without shame, without fear. And he calls hypocrites out. He calls the self-righteous out. He calls the pettiness out. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to be willing to speak up at the right time and in the right place. Again, not you don't want everybody in your neighborhood to think you're a jerk. That's not okay. That's not very godly. And you don't want to just Certainly don't do it on the internet. That's a waste of time. Somebody asked me just a couple weeks ago, this this person just made a horrible statement on the internet. What what should I do? I said, nothing. That is the worst place in the world to debate somebody. You are always going to come out looking like the fool when you debate somebody online like that. But when you have the chance to speak truth, speak truth. And don't be afraid of it. And don't worry if someone says, oh, you're judging me. Say, well... I'm just speaking truth. Let's dialogue, let's talk. Sometimes people are going to respond like the Jews did to Jesus. They're gonna wanna take you out. Maybe not actually killing you, but they wanna silence you. That's happening, it's growing faster and faster in our country. What's happening to our friends in Asia that we heard the report on, it's coming for us. It's just a matter of time, and we need to decide now that we're gonna stand for truth no matter what. Sometimes, people will respond well. James and Jude, who said, Jesus, just go down there and reveal yourself in Jerusalem out of spite, out of jealousy, out of whatever their motive was, After Jesus died and rose again, they believed. And they went on to become great servants of the Lord Jesus and wrote books that are in our New Testament. Some are going to respond well, some are not going to respond well. But our hope is not in how people respond to us. In all of this, our hope is in what's waiting for us after this life. So whether people love you, whether anybody ever says, Doug, you're right. I love to hear that phrase. Whether anybody ever says that to me or not, whether they want to kill me, my hope does not lie in this life and neither does yours. Our hope lies in the fact that Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin, that he died, he rose again, and someday we will die. We will rise again with him and then all of the enemies, all the lies, all the unrighteousness will forever be thrown into the lake of fire. That's our hope. So let us stand firm against the skeptics, church, because our hope is in the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are amazed at your courage in the face of enmity, in the face of those who wanted to kill you, in the face of those who did kill you, in the face of your brothers who hated you those who said they were your friends and they abandoned you. Oh Lord, fill us with your spirit, make us more like yourself, that we might be bold and and courageous and stand firm on the truth of the gospel. It is our hope. We are not gonna have favor, favor with everyone in this life. We can't be Christians and not have someone critique us, condemn us, judge us, whatever, may we stand firm, trusting that someday you will vindicate us and will welcome us into glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.